0: take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms once again, Psalm 119. And uh, as we have been walking through this chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, the the longest of the Psalms, we've been seeing uh, some just different perspectives on on, uh, this psalmist and things that he says about his relationship to the Word of God, his submission to God's word and his will uh, in his life and, and uh, we, we've seen in the last several times that we've looked at uh, this chapter that there are, there are some, apparently some trials going on in this man's life as he's spoken of those who are oppressing him and those who are uh, conspiring against him and, and uh, he, he refers to them as the proud and, and those who basically have rejected the Lord are are causing him trouble in his life, and yet he's trying to keep his eyes on the Lord, which is what we always ought to do in those situations, those circumstances. So if you're in Psalm 119, let's go ahead and stand together as we read. We'll uh, pick it up here in verse number 65. Psalm 119, verse 65. The Bible says here, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Listen to what he says in verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. I like this statement, verse 70. Their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. You can be seated. I want to preach to you tonight on the perspective of an afflicted servant. The psalmist here identifies himself as the Lord's servant. He said in verse number 65, thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord. And he's speaking of himself. Now, I'm always uh, encouraged, I guess, when I read in the Bible and I see great men of God who uh, see themselves before the Lord as simply a servant. I like uh, when I read in Romans 1, that first, at least uh, chronologically, as you read through the Bible, the first of the Pauline epistles, and you read there and you think, okay, here's Paul, that great apostle of the Lord, and he introduces himself, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was the servant of the Lord. I, I think there's something to be said for even great men of God who recognize that in in, in their, when it comes to position, there's nothing greater than being a servant of the Lord. As, uh, uh, as human beings, we tend to want position, and we want titles, and, and we want respect, and, and, and we want to be seen as something great, but in the Lord's kingdom, there really is no place for exaltation of self, is there? Even John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said was the greatest man ever born among women, he said of the Lord Jesus Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. And if we could keep that perspective and understanding that we all are nothing great and nothing to be worshipped or praised, we are simply servants of the Lord, that would help us to keep some things in perspective in life, wouldn't it? And so here we find this psalmist who's recognizing before the Lord that that's what he is. He's a servant to the Lord, but he's not just a servant, he's an afflicted servant. He finds himself in a place of trial. Again, this is something that we've mentioned over the past several uh, weeks as we've looked at this chapter and it's kind of unfolded. And really, I'll I'll just clue you in, as you go forward, it doesn't get much better in terms of his uh, situation. He says in uh, in verse number 83, for instance, he says, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. <laughs> uh, things are not going real well for the psalmist here. But in the midst of all these things, as an afflicted servant, there are some things in his life and some, uh, some just perspectives that he has that I think would be helpful for us when we face affliction, when we face burdens ...and trials and difficulties in life. And by the way, all of us do. There's no one who's immune from that. And if you find yourself in a place tonight... ...where everything is kind of smooth sailing right now... ...I don't want to deflate your your sails... ...or take the wind out of your sails tonight... ...but I'm just here to say that's not going to last forever. Uh, Trials come and they go. And by the way, if you find yourself in a deep valley... ...and you're walking through a time of trial... ...just know you're not alone... You're not the first person to have ever faced it, and there is an end in sight. Some of the greatest uh, words in the Bible are, and it came to pass, right? Uh, things come to pass, and, uh, and, and those trials don't always last forever. Joy comes in the morning, the Bible says, and so just hang in there. But we are people that face afflictions. We face trials. Even as servants of the Lord, we face afflictions, but it's important that we know how to properly respond to those afflictions. You see, when someone goes through trials and burdens in their life, I'm very concerned for them. As someone who loves people, especially God's people, uh, I'm burdened anytime I see someone going through difficulty. I'm concerned about the pain that they're dealing with, the the trial that they're facing. I I empathize with them. I I wish in many ways that, that they weren't going through that. But that's not where my concern stops. Because I'm also concerned not only about the trial and and how it's affecting them and how it's making them feel, but I'm concerned because I recognize that every time that we face affliction in life, there is an opportunity for us to respond correctly or incorrectly. And if we don't have the right perspective when trials come, the outcome of that can become bitterness anger, and ultimately destruction. However, if in our affliction, if in our trials we respond correctly the way that the Lord would have us to respond, the good news is that the outcome of that trial can actually be blessing and goodness in your life. The Bible tells us that God works all things together for good. To them that love him. God has a purpose. Even in our affliction, there is something that he's trying to do in your life. And maybe you find yourself tonight in a situation where you feel as though it is unfair or unjust of God to allow these things to happen in your life. Maybe you find yourself in a place you just don't know if you can keep on going the way that you're going. And I just want you to know. God has a purpose in this for your good. He has a purpose for your good. And so I want to look at this, the perspective of this afflicted servant tonight from this section of Psalm 119 and, and, and point out some things to you that we see in his perspective that I think would be helpful to you in a time of trial. First of all, I want you to see that he recognized the goodness of God. Even in his affliction, he recognized the goodness of God. Look at verse number 65. The psalmist here says thou hast dealt well with thy servant O Lord according to thy word. In your word you promised that you would do good to me and you have done that. And I know I mentioned this last time but I think it's important for us even in the midst of our trials to acknowledge the goodness of God in our lives. That even though things may not be going the way that I would want them to go, or you would want them to go, that God is still good and has been good to you and to me. It's easy to look at other people and say, boy, God sure has blessed them. Look at all the things they have. Look at all the blessings in their life. But then we look at our lives and we tend to see the problems. Friend, no matter where you are in life, there is good and bad in everyone's life. There are blessings and problems in everyone's life. But all of us have one thing in common. And we can say, if we'll be real honest, we can say, God is good to me. God is good. And I love the fact that as this section of the psalm really does deal so much with affliction in, in the psalmist's life... He starts out by acknowledging that God is good. Probably my favorite psalm in all the Bible is Psalm 73. We'll be looking at that in a moment. But Psalm 73 is is written uh, really as a testimony after the fact of a man who was about ready to throw in the towel and give up on God because he saw All of the the, the wicked in the world prospering. And here he was trying to do what was right and obey the Lord. And it seemed that he just couldn't catch a break anywhere. The wicked are prospering. Here I am trying to do good. And problems and afflictions abide me. And he said, "My, my, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was ready to give up. Then he talks about how his perspective changed when he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. When he got in the presence of God, he started to understand some things. But in that psalm, he goes on for many verses describing the pain and the burden that he felt as he saw what he perceived to be injustice and unfairness and problems in his life. But one of the things I love about the psalm is that it starts off with the words, Truly, God is good. God is good. No matter what you're facing tonight, can you just stop for a moment and acknowledge the goodness of God? He said in verse number 68, as he's talking to the Lord, he says two things. Thou art good and doest good. God is good. That that is a statement about his character and his nature and and just the makeup of who God is. God is good. Is good. But not only is he good in the sense of who he is in his person, but God does good. God sheds out goodness and blessing upon us, and everything that God does is good and right. And the psalmist acknowledges this God, you are good and you do good. And then he gives this prayer, this request. He says, Teach me thy statutes. Lord, even in the midst of all this, I want to know you more than I know you now. I want to know your word, because even when life is hard, I know that you are good. He recognized the goodness of God. And then let me say to you, not only did he recognize that God was good, but he also spoke of the blessings of his affliction. He spoke of the blessings of his affliction. Now, this one is hard for me. Because I don't like trial and affliction and trouble and problems. I don't spend a lot of time praying that God will bring trials into my life. Anyone here do that? Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I'm not saying I've never prayed that God would do whatever is necessary to soften my heart, to work in my life. I've prayed those things before. I'm just saying I spend a lot more time praying for God's blessings and God's help than for affliction. (laughs) I don't like problems. I don't like trials. I'm not excited about them when they come. In fact, usually my prayer is something like, How long, Lord? Please deliver me from this. But in the midst of all of this, I want you to notice that David, and I've told you before, I believe David wrote this psalm. You can disagree with me. Everyone has a right to be wrong. But the, um, the, me too, by the way. But, uh, But I want you to notice that the psalmist here says, of his affliction, he says in verse number 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Lord, before the problems came into my life, before affliction came, I was kind of going my own way. And when I go my own way, I was going out of the way of the Lord. But now I've kept thy word. The affliction that you brought into my life brought about a repentance and obedience in my life. I am now more committed to living a life pleasing to you as a direct result of the trial that you have brought into my life. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that God sometimes brings trials into our lives to turn our feet toward Him? He does. You see, it's easy for us when we, when everything is... Going smooth, you know, smooth sailing through life, we kind of have the luxury of getting our eyes on the things of the world. But when problems and trials come, a lot of times there's nowhere else to turn but to the Lord and to his word. And if that is what affliction brings about in my life, then that affliction was not a bad thing, it was a good thing. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of the chastening of the Lord. You know, I'm thankful that I was raised by parents who wanted what was best for me in my life. And sometimes they had to bring some momentary affliction to bring about what the Bible would call the fruit of righteousness in my life. Do you know what I mean by that? I have seven children, and and I don't want to do them harm. I I would never intentionally do harm to them. And I don't like to cause pain for them. And I don't like to cause hardship for them. But you know what? A loving parent will sometimes bring momentary affliction into the life of their child to do what? To correct their steps. To train them up in the way that they should go. And a parent who will never cause any kind of displeasure in the life of their child is really not a loving parent. You look at the life of Eli and his two sons that were were wicked. And one of the things that the Bible states of him is that he never restrained his sons from their wickedness. Or David and all the problems that happened in his family. And it states of him, of one of his sons, that never once did his father displease him. I don't like to displease my children. I don't like to bring trials into their life. Because I love them. But the fact that I love them dictates that sometimes when they're going a direction they ought not to go, that I bring some things into their life that cause them to turn back into the right way. Are you with me? God who loves us ...and cares about us and seeks to bless us... ...will sometimes bring chastening into our lives... ...to bring us to a point of repentance and obedience to Him. Yes, it may be painful and it may be difficult... ...but it's always for our good. The psalmist here recognizes... ...the blessing of affliction that God brought him to a place... Of repentance and obedience. Notice also. That his affliction brought him to a place of seeking God. Look what he says in verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. That I might learn thy statutes. He's actually saying. it's, It's this trial painful as it is as much as I want to be delivered from it, I have to acknowledge and admit before the Lord that it has been a good thing in my life. Because in this pain, I've learned to seek the Lord. I've learned to draw nigh to Him. Sometimes God will bring trials into our lives to draw us closer to Himself. Hold your place here, but go back with me, if you would, to Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is another great chapter in the Bible. They all are, but I've got so many favorites. This might be one of them. Psalm 40, verse 1, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. Can I confess something to you tonight? I don't like waiting. I'm not not a good waiter. I don't like waiting in line. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting for slow internet connections. I don't like waiting. I have a tendency to be impatient. But you know what? I really don't like waiting on the Lord to deliver me out of some problem. I know the Bible says a lot about it. And I can tell you all about what the Bible has to say. I'm just telling you, I'm not very good at waiting. David here says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Look at verse number 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Now that's a great testimony in hindsight, right? Look what God did for me. Look how he delivered me. He brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And we'd say amen to that. But boy, we sure don't want to be in that horrible pit and the miry clay. We love the deliverance. We just don't like what we're being delivered from. We certainly don't like waiting in that place. And he goes on and he talks about the blessings of the Lord and his love for the Lord. But notice what he says in verse number six. He says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Uh, David, how do you know that God wasn't looking for sacrifice and offering? I don't know. Maybe he tried it. (laughs) Lord, here I am. I've got this problem, this trial. What do you want, Lord? I'll I'll give you whatever you want. You want sacrifice? You want offering? No, I guess that didn't work. (laughs) Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. But then he said this, mine ears hast thou opened. What a statement. God, you didn't put me in that place of pain and and discomfort and trial and, and allow me to be in that horrible pit because you were looking for something else from me. You were just putting me there so that my ears would be open, so I'd listen. So that I could hear your voice. And Lord, you've got my attention now. Mine ears hast thou opened. And then go back just a little ways further, if you would, to the book of Job. We all know the account of the life of Job and all the trials that he went through and the pain that he had to deal with in his life. And nobody here, nobody in their right mind would ever wish to feel what Job felt. Never but i want you to notice verse number 16 of job 23 job 23 verse number 16 this is what he says as in his perspective in the suffering that he's dealing with he says in verse 16 for god maketh my heart soft and the almighty troubleth me god maketh my heart soft. Could it be that sometimes our problems are actually blessings in disguise because the Lord is using these things to soften our hearts, to open our ears, to turn our feet in the right direction and to draw us closer to Himself? It's not what we want, it's not what we look for, but in the midst of affliction, trial and difficulty, are you able to say, first of all, God is good and this trial has been good for me. God is using it in my life. What did Paul say? Had a thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice for this thing. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, now, again, we look back at that hindsight and we say, boy, that was a great thing for the Lord to say. But how would you like it if you're in a place of great burden and you're you're pleading with God, please deliver me from this thing. And God basically says, "No, I've got something better in mind. What do you mean? How could it ever be better than getting out of this problem? that my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that what? The power of Christ may rest upon me. I am welcoming the pain so that I can learn to live dependent on the Lord. You see, not all trials are really bad for us. And I'm not trying to minimize whatever you might be going through. And I want you to know, if you're in a place of affliction, if if I don't know about it, I'd be glad to pray for you and even try and help you in any way I can. And those of you who are going through affliction and I do know about it, I promise you I'm praying for you. And I care about that. And I would love to see God deliver you from it. But I just want to encourage you tonight. Don't lose sight of the fact that God has a purpose in the pain. There is something that He's doing in your life. And it's for your good. In the hymn, More Love to Thee, that we sing, the third verse says this, Let sorrow do its work. Send grief and pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain, when they can sing with me, More love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. Easy to sing it, hard to actually pray it. Lord, send into my life whatever it takes for me to love you more. There's a contrast here between the psalmist and these oppressors. He said in verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me. That's a terrible place to be, falsely accused. The the proud have forged a lie against me. Then he said in verse 70, their their heart is fat as grease. Now that's a, a funny statement. That almost sounds like a your mama joke. Okay. But it wasn't. When the Bible speaks of, of fatness, it, it, it speaks of blessing and goodness. And this is exactly what, what I mentioned there, that in Psalm 73, the, 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 the statement about these, the, the wicked in the earth and the proud that are prospering, And he says in verse 7 of Psalm 73, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish here they are, the people that are causing me problems, when I look in their life, they don't have the problems I have. That can be a discouraging place to be. But here's what you need to know, sometimes the reason that they don't have the relationship with God that you have is because they don't have the trials that you have. That they're fatness, if you will. All of the abundance that they seem to have is actually keeping them from drawing nigh to the Lord. And, And make no mistake, the pleasures of this life and of this world can very well become a hindrance to your relationship with God. And they are in many people's lives. And here... In Psalm 119, I'm thankful that this psalmist recognizes, hey, as hard as it is, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. God is still good. And then he speaks of his determination. I want you to look at this in verse number 72. He says, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands. Of gold and silver. In other words. I am more determined. To seek you. And to seek your word. And the law of thy mouth. Than anything this world has to offer. You know one one of the great things that trials do. That we often forget about. Is they really put into perspective what is important in life. They really do. When everything is going the way I want it to go in my life, it's easy for me to get distracted and caught up in all these little things that don't matter. Most of the world tonight is caught up in things that just don't matter. But man, when when real affliction comes, the the valleys of life, we start to see what's really important. And after all this, the psalmist says, God's word means more to me than thousands of gold and silver. All the money in the world could never replace this book. In Amos chapter 8, the Lord pronounces a pretty somber judgment against his people. He says to them that the days are coming that he's going to send a famine in the land. But It's not going to be a famine of bread or of water, but he said, of hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from the east even to the west to seek the, Lord, the word of the Lord and they shall not find it. I don't know about you, but I've thought about this before. What if I found myself in some place in life where I didn't have the word of God readily available to me? That'd be an awful, awful place to be, wouldn't it? I read a letter from someone today that's sitting in prison and he talked about how he had been moved from one prison to another and it took some time for them to get his belongings to him in in his new location. One of the things that he stated in there was that he was so excited to get his Bible back. I've never experienced that. I've never had a time that I didn't have a Bible available to me. But I sure have had times that I didn't bother to pick it up and read it. In other words, when it's readily available, I don't necessarily esteem it as highly as I would if I didn't have it. Israel Learned what it was like to not have God's word. And it wasn't a pleasant thing. The psalmist says, all these trials in my life, they have caused me to see the value of God's word. And nothing can replace it. Wouldn't that be a wonderful perspective if all of us had that? The the words of God's mouth, the law of his mouth is more valuable to me than anything this world could ever offer because I just want to know him and his word and, 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 and to be obedient to him. I just, I long for God and for his word. That was the perspective of an afflicted servant. Now friend, tonight, again, I just want to say... I don't necessarily know what you might be going through or what you will face in the days ahead. I do know that the Bible tells us that in this life we'll have tribulation, we'll have trouble. But I want you to know that in it all, God is always good. And God always has a purpose. And we ought to always keep that perspective. Lord, help me to remember your goodness. To consider your blessings that even in the hard times you're working for my good. And help me, Lord, to esteem you and your words better than anything this world has to offer.